You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is To Stir With Love with Rabitzko Kowalkowski. I'm Aprom Kivalevich. And of course, Rabitzko is someone who goes to stir with love. Stir, of course, is the old slang way of saying prison. And uh, Rabitzkok brings there a sense of Ava, Ava Sisrol, and Ava Sabrios in general, which of course is necessary even for those who have made severe mistakes and been incarcerated. So that's the reason why we call it to stir with love in case you didn't know, just to remind you. But I think all those people, Yitzchak, that you are um, uh, dealing with, and of course you try to, to be native for people who have the Tzal Melikim, but I would assume that part of what you do there is similar uh, to what the Bnei Levi, uh, the Shevet Levi, did in Mitzrayim. And this week's parasha, we talk about Shibud Mitzrayim. And the Shevet Levi were, they weren't involved in the Shibud per se. Paro gave them off to be sort of like the counselors in a way. And probably what they did was, according to uh, logic, is listen, is hear what the, the, the people that were suffering were saying, to share in their suffering, to counsel, to listen, to be part of it. And I'm sure that in your role as a chaplain, a listener, a shaved Levy, that you probably have heard a lot of the complaints and the issues. And it would seem, based on, I guess, from my own speculation and what I know from, from media and other things, and that part of those complaints would be, I shouldn't be here. I'm innocent. They got the wrong guy. Uh, I shouldn't be in prison. Uh, now, obviously, the most extreme is it's mistaken identity. I was sent up. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Um, but I sure, I, I'm sure across the spectrum, there's probably, I got too many years, right? We talked about uh, uh, about Pollard and Ravashkin, right? They, they sent me up, right? It was, it was, it was crooked. The, the judge hated me. I should have gotten 20 instead of whatever instead of getting life. So let's talk about the extreme case. Have you ever been in a situation where um, the, the, the inmate said to you, I'm here, it's a trumped-up charge, I, I'm innocent, I shouldn't be in there at all? Has that ever occurred? Well, you know, I heard the same things before I got into prison ministry. My Baba, Allah Shalom, she was a frum lady, and she was a nurse at Rikers Island, and she said everybody there was innocent. You know, that's how they all present themselves, and <laughs> I'll tell you the truth is that uh, I worked for a number of years very part-time in a federal prison when I was a rub in Virginia, and now I'm in state prison in uh, Pennsylvania. And in the federal prison, I saw a lot more cases of people who not only claimed to be innocent, but I maybe I was my naivete. I was a young rabbi, uh, but I believed in some of them. I still believe most likely were innocent and they had pretty uh, convincing stories. And then other people who, like who said, you know, they, it, it's, you know, they felt that they got, they admitted to committing the crimes, but they felt that maybe it wasn't actually a crime or they had different excuses that they made. That's a much more common thing. In, in Pennsylvania, I very rarely have come across that. It, I, the vast majority of the men who I work with in Pennsylvania 
admit openly to what they did. Many of them uh, accept the consequences, I, I, you know, and that that to me is a little bit more surprising uh, and harder to understand the people who are honest with themselves about this and how they're able to face some of the most hor- horrific and horrible things that human beings could ever do to other human beings. And uh, there's one fellow in particular in my prison. He, I, I won't, it's, it's not even, uh, it, it, to mention what he did would be too shocking. And he admits it. And he was sentenced to something, uh, I think, 20 to 50 years. And his plan is to serve the whole 50 years if he makes it that long, which I don't know if he will. In other words, he, he accepted upon him. He wants the Oynesh. He, 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 so, he understands what he did, and he actually doesn't want to get out earlier. Right. Because he wants to, have, he wants to do penance for his extreme sin. Yeah. You're right. That does that does go against what you usually think is uh, uh, like your grandmother said that everybody says they're innocent. Can, can, but let me the one. Let's say go back to Virginia for a while. <laughs> and the one who said he was innocent. What did he mean that they got the wrong guy? That there was someone else? What, what was the innocence that that that, 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 that it didn't happen? That the the government created a crime where there was no crime. Well, the one case that I'm kind of convinced of was maybe I'm prejudiced because he's a he's a yid and he was a Talmud Chochem and uh, a Hasidic yid. He was a Rosh Hashiva even. And uh, the story that he tells is that uh, his adult daughter was cheating on her husband, and he uh, told his son-in-law what was going on and that he should give a get, and that that was her nakama to make up a story that something happened. 15, 20 years earlier, and uh, and that was the and there was no evidence, and it was he said, she said, and the other kids in the family all were on his side, and the judge said, and and they all actually said that their mother, who their parents had divorced, was abusive, uh, and in similar ways, and uh, the judge said, well, your your mother's not on trial, your father's on trial, and you know I'm not going to listen to your testimony, and he. He got sent up for for thirty years, and uh, so in other words, this was a, like a sexual accusation that yeah. uh, that that he says the events never happened, but you mm-hmm. had someone who wanted. Right? So it wasn't a case of mistaken identity or or the, no. He no. says it was Ladam that it never happened. Yeah, and, and and not only that, but he he claims, and the truth is that his wife's uh, nephew, I believe, in Yushalayim killed his infant child and he said that there is you know that streak of ritzicha in the in the family that his ex-wife tried to poison him on a few occasions and to the point where when the fbi came to get him he called the he called 911 because he thought that it was his ex-wife's family coming to kill him that was his claim and and his his children support that so it's a quite an interesting uh quite an interesting uh, story and I remember hearing the story before I started working there and thinking to myself how can I minister to someone who did such a horrible thing as was claimed but when I got to know him and, and know his family who would come to visit him and so forth I uh, I became pretty convinced that 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 uh, that he was innocent you know it's, it's a possibility that 
it's true. It's po- anything's possible, but I, I find it very difficult to believe knowing him and, and just, uh, you know, I, 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 he would ha- be having to put on such a facade because, although, again, that's what a lot of people who oppose him point to is that, you know, that he presents himself as such a, a fermaka and a, and so forth. And part of the story was also that he, he had a, a public defendant and the lawyer said, how could you do this to your daughter? And he said, I didn't do this. You're You're supposed to be defending me. <clears throat> you know, how how can you be my lawyer if you don't believe I'm innocent? So he asked the judge, he said he wants to get a new lawyer. This this lawyer do- doesn't believe he's innocent. And the judge said to him, you know, you can't just schlep this out. You, you either take this lawyer or you defend yourself. We're not going to go through lawyer after lawyer. So, but he said, if you defend yourself, you're going to lose. And he tried to defend himself. Because he's a highly intelligent person, but he didn't know, I guess, how to play the game with the with with the federal. Uh, and, and, and he wasn't able to get uh, someone from the Swedish community to come and, and be his lawyer. He wasn't able to find uh, Edgka Gluck or somebody who's who's yeah. out there going. I mean, I know some of these fever. I mean, there are people who are who there, are. There there were a lot of people in the Hasidic community who uh, who believed he was guilty. Uh-huh. Therefore, they therefore they didn't help him out. <laughs> he, he Let a, me ask you something. I I don't want to talk about him specifically but obviously yeah. you were taken in by his story it's just interesting to me the daughter but the other children felt that the daughter was the was the was the liar yeah but, right in other words even though that was their sister that was yeah. their blood sister yeah and somehow she is the liar <laughs> and the other kids were um saying that she's the rotten apple who's making yeah. up this story yeah, to get together with the mother who was trying to get custody of the kids, which the kids were very frightened of when they got married. Uh, all the kids are married now. At each of the chasnas, there was police protection to make sure that the mother wouldn't show up because uh, there was restraining orders against her because they they absolutely hate their mother. And um, except for this daughter, she's the one who's connected. And and there was, I I think well they had quite a number of children. If I'm not mistaken, there were two daughters and one son that were on the mother's side. And then the, uh, the, the inmate had a brother who's off the Derek who also testified against him. And then the, and the mother testified against him. And then the other children, I'm thinking there's six or seven children, if I'm not mistaken, who, um, who were on his side. So there was, there was a rive and the, uh, and the ones who were on his side were, were from and the ones who were, the, the mother still presented herself as from the ex-wife, but the the other children, uh, I think, uh, pretty very much terrible, sordid, horrible. I'm sure that <laughs> you know it's it's, but it's interesting though. Again, you know, I don't want to. You know, uh, I guess we're also uh, jaundiced by our what we've read in books and movies and we've seen in movies. And I mean, I, I remember you, you I never was, had a case where the person said it wasn't me. It was somebody else that you've never had. I can't think of any case like that where where it's that that far off. You know, these are these things do happen, and you know, I hear I just heard on the radio stories like this where they just took. I know other stories like this that are connected to my family in general. Like uh, my wife, uh, growing up in Idaho, had a, a, a schoolmate of hers who was who was murdered. 
and the um, and another schoolmate of hers was accused of the murder, was convicted, was on death row, and the victim's mother was uh, screaming that it's not him, and there was no evidence that was him, and he was mentally deficient, and he was kind of railroaded into it, and I don't think he even really knew what was going on because what you know after he was called in for questioning everything he thought he's just going to go home and that's it i don't know the story that well but i know my my wife talks about that story a lot and it's something that's on her mind a lot and how this guy was almost executed for uh, something with absolutely no evidence and and eventually he was you know set totally free you know it was uh, the case was thrown out and, and of course, you know, not just in movies, we know, of course, in real life, of course, the Dreyfus Affair, which is one of the, uh, you know, uh, most seminal events in, in, in recent Jewish history, I guess recent, but in the modern Jewish history about, you know, recognizing how the state was against the Jews. Um, Colonel Dreyfus, of course, was sent up for something, you know, for stealing those plans, whatever it was. And uh, you also have, of course, the famous... Um, uh, Frank case in in Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. the Jewish fellow that was that was uh, that was convicted and I think killed or lynched. I think I think they came. Lynched, in, yeah. I think they came and they lynched him for the rape of that girl, um, the rape and murder of that girl with very little evidence. So it, we definitely have, without even alluding to fictional cases, we know about you know uh, gruesome stories of people that have been set. Uh, become victims of the system. The system is either prejudiced against them or the police work is shoddy or because for whatever reason uh, uh, the people are, are get, get railroaded. And it definitely is the type of thing that, um, you know, it, 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 I guess it doesn't have to happen frequently. Enough. It doesn't have to be so frequent for us to be suspicious of the system in general, that maybe that there maybe are a number of people who are uh, who shouldn't be there. But I, but it's it's interest sobering to hear from you that this might just be a, a a trope, a fictional trope, but it doesn't necessarily align, at least in in your experience. Right? I think I think in in some part in some parts of the justice system, you have overzealous prosecutors who just want to get a conviction at all costs. Which, you know, I I'll, I'll be honest, I see in the federal system where they have something like a. 96% conviction rate and a lot of those are plea bargains uh, it it it, it kind of points to me that there is something wrong in the federal system which is why I'm happy that there was a criminal justice overhaul that was supported bipartisanly uh, in this administration and the and it was something very much needed in the federal system which also set the tone for the states as well but my experience particularly in Pennsylvania is that that's very rare. It, it, we have one, um, one inmate in the prison where I currently work, who I know pushes, you know, insists that he is innocent. I don't know him. I really have never spoken to him, but I know he is a, uh, he's, he was a Catholic priest um, who was accused of, you know, of, of molesting a boy, and most of the people who you know who work with us, who who know him, um, kind of believe that he's innocent. The interesting thing is that the guard on his block told me, you know, he was a member. He was a member of his parish, 
And here he is, you know, being the correctional officer on the block where his former parish mm-hmm. priest is, is now sitting. Um, you, you so know, why, you, why haven't you approached this fellow then? Okay. I mean, you are, uh, right? You, right? You say that you, you know this person, but you say you don't have much to do with him. Why is that? Well, I, I, you know, I, I, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You know, he has, you know, the, the Catholic clergy who served there. We do our other full-time chaplain. I'm the supervisor, but then the real, like, uh, on the floor, you know, uh, chaplain is a, is a Catholic deacon. And he's the one who really does a lot of the, you know, one, you know, most of the one-on-one work. And I'm called in, you know, when, when there's a particular request for a religious accommodation, things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm more the supervisor. So, you know, uh, and dealing with a lot of paperwork things and supervising all the other chaplains, making sure they get paid, making sure that the paperwork is signed, making sure... You know, and, I, I wonder, you know, based on the muscle I gave in the beginning of the uh, pro in the podcast about shaving Levy, I wonder if there was some, uh, you know, some sort of pencil pushing paperwork that they were also involved in, you know, and that maybe they had to uh, arrange all the, you know, the official work duties and things like that. Maybe there was also some sense of, you know, of being officialdom. You know, again, yeah, another I, another illusion. I'm sorry, I just want to just bring out this other illusion to the partios that we read recently that, of course, I guess the most famous, you know, I mentioned, of course, Frank and, and, um, and Dreyfus, but of course there's Yosef Atzadik himself, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yosef Atzadik himself is the, uh, is the, is the prototype of someone who has been, you know, thrown into prison and he, you know, uh, there was some, uh, uh, some evidence and, uh, yet it was definitely inconclusive, um, uh, and you know, he again had to sit in Tvisa Nevach, and so I guess we we sort of have maybe that's the most maybe that's the most famous literary archetype is Yosef Atzadik yeah. himself. Um, you know, it's interesting that so many of you know we talk about the the Alter Rebbe, of course, uh, being imprisoned uh, for I think it was espionage, right? Wasn't that yeah, why they? For, right? for, I mean, he was sending money to. To the Eden Israel, and then uh, because that was under the Ottoman Empire, and Russia was at war with the Ottomans, the the claim was was that he was uh, aiding and abetting the enemy. And so, so again, we have a sort of a grand history of of, of being imprisoned falsely and being imprisoned incorrectly. And uh, I mean, I you know, I I myself spent a night in jail, as I've mentioned before. Yes, for, yes. And and there's a story. Of the uh, the Morinayim that he found Rabbi de Rossi or Rabbi Nachum Nochum of Chernobyl, the, the, the Chernobyler. Uh, yeah, okay. That he uh, he found himself in prison, and he had been working a lot with Pidyon Shvuyim, and then uh, the story goes that Rachel Menu came, which is interesting because they shared the same yard site, and the Rachel Menu came and told him, you know, that he was there, so he he, he could get a little. A little taste of what the people are going through that he's that he's helping out, so he can be more compassionate. That's the so yes. So and uh, Hinami, we definitely um, you know, uh, and of course, you know, according to Chazal, we have Avramavinu, who was according to uh, the Rambam says in Marinavuchim, quoting that as well, that he was imprisoned, of course, by Nimrod. Right? He was uh, he was. 
the, the Ramban, I think, also mentions it when he quotes the, the this and the Parshas Noyach that there was this Chazal, uh, there was this uh, tradition that Avram was imprisoned as an enemy of the state uh, in Kuta, it says. And uh, so I, I think we definitely have shown that this motif of the government, the, the powers that be, uh, singling out someone and, and, and vilifying them and having to suffer, uh, you know, the Neumel Melech says that Avram Avinu was the most hated man. And uh, when he came to Eretz Yisrael, people blamed him for the... Uh, People blamed him for the for the uh, for the famine. They felt that this was a heretic, and uh, so you know, the idea of, of taking the slings and arrows and, and, and being assumed guilty, even when you're not, you know, we have Avram and 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 uh, and, uh, and and Yosef Atzadik, and I guess throughout uh, our, you know our history, you know, Tzidkio, of course, was put in chains as an enemy of the state, maybe uh, improperly or, or properly. Um, so I, I guess there is a sense of, of, of heroism, of being able to, uh, to survive and get through it and to become stronger because of it. Um, you know, I, I think that we, uh, uh, I'm trying to build a bridge here, of course, to our, you know, as they say on uh, one of the podcasts I listen to, which is called Pop Culture Happy Hour. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. It's, a, it's an NPR podcast. And I, I don't think your sensibilities are in the NPR world. But uh, I, have, I I listen to NPR when when I'm in the car and nothing else is on because I because you could you pick up the signal in in places where other where it's not there. Yeah, and I, and and I like to hear the other what I like to hear opposing views and well, and I and I enjoy the the non political parts of NPR to be honest. I enjoy so so one of their programs is called not, Pop Culture Happy Hour, and um, at the end of the the weekly segment of the Pop Culture Happy Hour, they said this is our favorite part of the show where we say what's making us happy, what things we've been into, or I'm not going to say I'm into it, but this is, a, in, in, in some sense, my favorite part of the show, where we sort of take a little bit of a bridge from our main discussion into, um, let's talk about you know, old movies, old television shows, um, programs, and, I, and, and film and media uh, that somehow reflect and suggest and deepen the conversation about what we have been uh, schmoozing about. So, do you have any uh, uh, do you have any ideas or any films or movies, shows, or anything that suggest themselves as a way to illustrate some of the points of uh, of the wronged person or a person who was in prison and perhaps uh, you know uh, incorrectly or in, an innocent person? In well, you know, what do you what do you have to throw out of it? In real in real life, I I do see more people who you know, admit to what they did, but don't see it as a crime and see it as something that, and maybe we'll save that for another time. I have an interesting story about a, okay. an homage fellow in the Pennsylvania prisons. Well, I think we might save that for next time. But okay. Amish next a, time. But yeah. But there, there's a, a movie that I really like along these lines about someone who did do something wrong and, um, uh, but is trying to run away from it. And this is, uh, uh, it was really, a, you know, a, a movie from a, not only, it wouldn't even be a B movie, might be, you know, it's a poverty role uh, company. Uh, PRC was the studio, mm-hmm. but they, uh, it's a 1945 movie called Detour, which was directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, who actually directed a lot of Yiddish movies. 
And it was probably one of the, probably one of the best poverty row movie of all. You know, it's a very, uh, it's, it's a very powerful story, you know, made, you know, quickly on a, on a low budget, but it's, it's been uh, appreciated by the critics and by fans alike. That's a, and, you know, and, and, and it has a character who, uh, how does it relate to the theme of our discussion? Oh, he, he winds up falling into, uh, you know, accidentally committing a crime is kind of what, what happens. And uh, he's trying to run away from, or I guess I don't want to give away that part of the movie because that's closer to the end. But earlier in the movie, uh, he's, uh, he's hitchhiking, trying to get across the country because his girlfriend moved, you know, to Hollywood trying to become a movie star and she's just slinging hash instead of, you know, living out her dreams and he's trying to go out to meet her and he hitchhikes across from New York to California and the fellow who picks him up winds up dying of a heart attack uh along the way while, you know, while he asked the hitchhiker to drive um and he's trying to figure out, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, but he's kind of worried that he's going to be accused of doing something wrong. And after that, just it spirals down into just worse and worse. Uh, so, so it's almost like, you know, although he's not guilty um, and he, he's a completely innocent person or, or, or and just a, 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 he's a victim of circumstance or he actually has made some some bad decisions that have led him where he is. Or would you say he's a, in the, the the protagonist of Detour is a complete um, victim of, of of circumstances around them? Is that what is that what occurs in the story? It's close to being you know what the, at the end you know he he winds up doing something by accident, but he probably could have avoided it, and he certainly feels the guilt around it, and that's the theme throughout the movie that he gets reminded of hearing a particular song reminds him. And uh, so there is. So, in other words, I think just to, uh, to he's definitely he has not done the horrible thing that you might think he did, but there's something there which sort of uh, hounds him. He's not a person who's saying I'm totally innocent. He's a person. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he did it, but he didn't he did it by accident. Yeah, which we know, of course, that you know, uh, people who who are involved in someone's death by accident. And we know the Torah, of course, has quite a strong, uh, you know, strong aids of right. that person. A person has to go to Gullahs. He has to uproot his whole life. He has to, he has to really imprison himself almost. Although it's but, a, it's it's a better prison than than most yeah. of the ones that we have. But it's still a place where you have to change your life and have to rethink what you did wrong. And, uh, and more than that, you know, we could. He's telling the story in flashback, uh, not even telling, just remembering it. This could be just how he remembers it. He could be totally guilty and trying to convince himself, you know, all along. You know, that's not something made clear by the movie, but that's certainly something that you un- could... What do they call it? They call it the um, the unfaithful narrator or something like that. The yeah. narrator that you can't... Right? Which, which is, is, you know, we, something that obviously, you know... We and, all do. I think it's something that yeah. we all do in terms of... Um, and maybe even your friend, uh, you know, the, the completely innocent one in your mind, yeah. you know, he, he probably believes that, you know, that what he was saying is true. We all have ways of reinterpreting the past in a way that we can look ourselves in the mirror and, and, and say that what we did wasn't so bad. 
which is why I'm surprised by the people who I'm serving now who who admit to it and have you know most of the most of the people you know just don't talk about it. It's just not it's not something we talk about. You know my my local my local love loves to tell a story about how he called up a prison chaplain to try to get kosher food freed. And uh, he he sees there's a rabbi S. Gold. So he says, you know, he calls up the phone number up in Buffalo. And uh, he says, Rabbi Gold there. And the man answers the phone. He says, oh, Susan, honey, it's for you. Uh, I'll take the baby. So then he was, the, my rub here, he says he was worried that, you know, especially someone who's more... Uh, to the left is is not going to be so quick to help someone get kosher food and so forth. You know, they say, you know, if you're, if you did the crime, you got to do the time. And, and, you know, he will always tell the story saying, you know, well, who knows, maybe the kosher food will help him, you know, make himself a better person. You know, if he's lives a more devoted life, but anyway, the, this lady, uh, she says, you know, I don't, I don't uh, judge anybody. I don't ask anybody what their crime was. I'm always, Dan Lakaf Znut. She didn't even know the word. She said Znus instead of Schus. But that was the uh that's the story. And she and 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 Rabbi Gold, Mrs. Rabbi Gold, actually did help him get the food, which is again, I guess that's a way of not don't assume uh definitely to make the status. Got any other uh, any other movies or TV or anything that else you wanted to throw out before I respond? Because I've got I, I've got a little list. Got anything else? I mean, uh, I'm a fan of The Simpsons, and the early episodes of The Simpsons that really led to everything else was was Krusty Gets Busted, where Krusty the Clown is is framed by Sideshow Bob, and it introduces this character of Sideshow Bob, played by Kelsey Grammer, that goes throughout the decades of The Simpsons that really um, became one of the more colorful and interesting minor characters, recurring, occasional recurring characters. Yes, yes, Kelsey Grammer has, uh, definitely knows how to use that incredible instrument of his voice, and he is definitely, he does it to great effect, Um, but I I guess over there, you know, you, uh, it's also, I think, a crucial thing, because um, up until that time, and again, I'm not as big of a maven in Simpsons as perhaps as you are, but I do know a little bit about the first four or five seasons because I watched them with my son, who was your age, and we used to watch them on Sunday nights. And of course, The Simpsons was the very first major Fox program, I think, I guess, that really pushed its way through. There were other programs, but The Simpsons was really the one that got uh, so much critical acclaim and so much uh, people involved in it, which really made the Fox network, despite all the digs they did on it. But I think one of the important things of that episode that you're referring to is that it, it it created a bond between Krusty and the Simpsons family. Now, up until that point, you know, Krusty was, you know, this this high-flying, uh, basically man without any uh, morals or principles, right? He was, you know, uh, you know you're the ugliest uh, kitty uh, host that you can think of who really didn't care much about things and was just using the kids as pawns. And I think if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm, I think I'm correct, that uh, Bart is the one who solves the case. I think based on the fact that uh, that the the big shoes size, right? Of you know right. The, that Sideshow Bob dresses up like Krusty, but he can't hide the size of his gigantic feet, and that of course is what is able to save 
Krusty, right? And, that, and, that, and that's what led to in the following season the revelation that Krusty was Jewish after all of his... Uh... Right, because he becomes friends with the, with, yeah. the, with, with the Simpson children. But I think what it does is it humanizes. And I think his, his imprisonment humanized him and made him a character that despite his vices that he still stuck to, but he became, I think the prison aspect, I think, made him more human. Uh, at it, least it humbled him, and also it brought out you know the the community uh, where the the uh, Reverend Lovejoy he wanted to burn all crusty uh, merchandise and make a big bonfire, the kind of the uh, extremism which is not typical in any other really episodes of The Simpsons, where Reverend Lovejoy is kind of seen as a pretty moderate Christian, almost nominal, not really that serious, and here he's presented as the zealot who's burning. Uh, in making a public uh, bonfire, you know, to burn yeah. all. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Simpsons <coughs> about Reverend Lovejoy is, uh, is another drusha about uh, the vacu the vacuousness of, of the ministry and of people who represent, um, you know, uh, normative religious authority. Okay. You got your two choices. The, 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 the famous crusty uh, goes to prison and detour. Um, I, you know, I, I can't help, um, um, but but responding to this whole discussion um, with uh, you know the themes and ideas uh, that are really part of uh, the work, uh, almost running through many of the major works of one of my favorite Hollywood directors of Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock, and um, of course though he did make one film specifically, well there's two films. One of them I actually asked you to uh, to view, which is called I Confess which has got Montgomery Peck, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Montgomery Clift as a, uh, as a, um, as a priest who is uh, the prime suspect in a murder because he's holding true to uh, his, his vows not to give over the secrets of the confession. But he has actually a, uh, uh, a his 19, uh, I guess it was 1955 or 56, um, the, uh, the Wrong Man with uh, Vera Miles, and of course, starring Henry Fonda, uh, which was based on the true story of Manny Bellastrero, uh, who's from Queens. And I think you're also a Queens boy, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And he, of course, was arrested and assumed that he had done armed robbery. And it was really a case of mistaken identity. And Hitchcock, using what looks like your typical um, police procedural, actually investigates uh, what was going on within there. And there you have a person who was clearly innocent, and yet all the evidence is, uh, is, 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 is gathered. The, there's an unthinking aspect of the police force and, and the judges and the system. And, you know, it's a true story. And you, you see the idea of the world being stacked against you. But Hitchcock actually does this throughout his, his, his history as a filmmaker. Um, of people being victims of circumstance and life in general being uh, stacked against you. Um, and some of his great films that I think develop this theme, and I, I don't know if um, The Wrong Man is, 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 is definitely worth watching, but I would suggest you know, some of his other films that, that really also deal with a person who is suspected of doing something that he didn't really do, but yet is guilty of something. And because of that, perhaps that's the lessons we all have to learn when difficult fate 
steps in. And I'll mention, of course, the 39 steps, um, which is, 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 is uh, I know you've seen, which is, you know, Robert Donated, who is, you know, accused and is, is considered a, um, uh, a fugitive for something he didn't do. Uh, but yet, he definitely becomes a better person, and he is guilty of other minor things. Uh, a, a similar type of flippant attitude is, is shown by the Bob Cummings character in um, Saboteur, where uh, people believe that he is the saboteur. Uh, and again, through uh, being chased, he needs to, and of course that ends with the famous scene at the Statue of Liberty one of the most uh, uh, incredible little shots, trick shots that Hitchcock did. And of course, the ultimate version of that story is North by Northwest, which uh, uh, again, you have a vacuous, empty character uh, who is guilty of the way he treats people and and not caring about anyone really except himself. Um, Cary Grant, who of course uh, becomes, uh, is, 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 is thought of, in, 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 in terms of the underworld as being this uh, George Kaplan, who is this person who is really, uh, uh, and, and, and he definitely gets, he gets caught into the most harrowing circumstances. And of course, we all know about the crap duster plane that swoops down on him. And yet he's done nothing. But Hitchcock suggests that when we all deal with difficult things that happen in our life, we need to search inward and realize maybe there is something there maybe some types of mistakes that we've made that could perhaps allow us to learn from the, the, the difficult, shocking, uh, and, and almost inscrutable facts in front of us that are, seem to be torturing us. But there is room for self-reflection and, and, and thinking about well, what is it that we've done wrong. Um, it might not answer why we're in the pickle that we're in, but it, it, but, but it at least explains perhaps what God wants. Again, I throw in also on that note, also the, um, the birds, which I mentioned to you, I think earlier, um, uh, (laughs) where you have the birds attacking the world, right? You have basically the birds attacking humanity. And yet Hitchcock makes a point of showing you the smallness, the pettiness and and the, the, the obvious sins of the persons who are attacked. Yes. You know, we, why did you end up in prison? There probably will, maybe there was someone against you and someone who wanted you, but there's also a reason why things happen. And there's a reason what you're supposed to learn from, even though you are innocent as far as that goes. So I would, I would, I would, I would suggest uh, that. Um, Those type of stories I hear, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, being told in the prisons of a lot of people who are, who, you know, they'll say, well, I didn't do this, but I did something else. So I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, you know, because they didn't, they didn't catch me for, for what I actually did do, which was maybe worse, you know, so it's not the, uh, that those type of stories are, are, you know, somewhat common. I, I, could I throw in one more movie maybe? Sure. Sure. I've got one other thing to say, but what other movie do you want to throw in? There was a, it was actually Vincent Price's first kind of monster movie uh, horror science fiction type movie was the uh, Invisible Man Returns uh, which was a sequel to Invisible Man which was a, a great great 
film with uh, James Whale with the uh, Claude Rains, of course, Claude was Rains. applying his vo- talk. When we talk about Kelsey Grammer's voice, yeah, Claude Rains, of course, used that used that <laughs> voice perfectly as well. But go ahead, yes, uh, and and so too uh, Vincent Price. Also, that was his first real show off of his voice as the Invisible Man uh, in the sequel, where he's an innocent man who's in prison and escapes prison by. Uh, becoming invisible to uh, go and and prove his innocence, you know, and that's uh, pretty. I, much yeah, yeah. I, I never really thought of Vincent Price much of as, as a real actor. I really see him as a, um, a personality. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, again, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, like, I almost would want to tell you you can't even mention him and Claude Rains okay. in the same yeah. breath. I, I, I agree. You know, it's 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 not it's not. Uh, I, I'll throw in two other uh, things. One of them is about one of my favorite films about someone who's in prison who really shouldn't be there. And it's, uh, and that is Sullivan's Travels. Um, and we talked, of course, about our mutual uh, admiration of Preston Sturgis. And this, of course, is, uh, is, is the most biographical uh, picture that Sturgis ever wrote because the Joel McRae character is a director um, uh, just, uh, just like he is. And uh, the, the character ends up uh, uh, getting uh, getting hit on the head, and through a series of of, of, of wrong uh, uh, impressions that people have, he ends up being in prison without a memory of who he is. And um, it's just, that last part of the film, uh, in general, the film is a beautiful, incredible movie. Uh, it, it has great comedy. It also has, as you know, if you've seen it. Uh, uh, almost a 10 minute uh, what we would call today a musical montage about life in depression America which is really really uh, the imagery is, 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 is startling and then you have the last part of the film where he's in prison um, and uh, uh, the as, he, as, 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 as he's in this chain gang type of situation and one of the last scenes in the, of the film, I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything, is when, as a prisoner, he is led um, to a uh, African American church. In other words, the prison uh, is, is sort of borders on a swamp area, and there's an African <coughs> down African American church there. And these prisoners, who are mostly white, are shuffled into the church, and the preacher. Uh, the minister there um, uh, tells the congregation that they should make room for very special guests who are coming. In other words, they're having a prayer meeting or a church service. And then it's interrupted by the prisoners who are coming. And the, the minister does such a great job and it's, it doesn't have any of the usual terrible tropes and ugliness of the way blacks were um, usually uh, shown during that era. And the minister is such a noble, wonderful person. And he talks about showing kindness. And the prisoners all sit in the front of the, um, of the churches and the pews. And then they lower a screen and they are able to watch a film. And what, of course, what they watch is a Mickey Mouse episode. And everyone sits there laughing. And here are these prisoners in chains and, you know, Joel McRae among them as, you know, as a person who has been beaten and hounded 
and, and, and totally incorrectly in the wrong place. And the respite that he's given by the, the humanity and support of, of, the, of, of the African-American parishioners and what he's able to see on the screen is able to transport him to forget and to laugh, which is, which is really part of the theme of the whole film and the difference between comedy and, 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 and drama. So I would definitely, uh, uh, if you're not moved by the artistry and brilliance of Sullivan's Travels, then there's something wrong with you. So I would add that film as well. And one last thing, since we've been, you know, we've been sort of movie and TV only, I would also say that it's worth listening to one of Dylan's most famous songs, which is, of course, the story of a um, of a uh, of a person put in stir <laughs> for the wrong reason, and that is the hurricane, which is the story which was made into a movie, by the way, I think, with Denzel Washington, I believe. But the song itself is always worth listening to. Uh, Dylan's ballad of the, the fighter from Patterson, New Jersey, Hurricane Carter, who was, because of the police wanting to find the man, found the wrong man, and deprived this person of, of, of almost the best years of his life that he could have actually risen to become heavyweight champion. So I would say uh, that song with its, with its you know, wonderful um, uh, guitar and harmonica, I would say that also, in a way, captures the spirit and the pathos of somebody in prison for the wrong reason. So those are my choices. You want to throw anything else before we wind up? Well, uh, just an interesting point is that our podcast was retweeted on Twitter by Lenny Dykstra. Okay, now it's time to go to bed. Go to bed. Come yes. That, go to bed. Yes, time to go to bed. Yes. <laughs> I think I think we have our director screaming us from the thing that we've got to we got to put in the show. So Lenny, of course, is also as you explained to me, uh, a very famous baseball player. Uh, um, I know he played he played for the Mets and the Phillies, right? He played for right. both teams. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he was in the '86 Mets that won the World Series. Uh, so Lenny, of course, is a former prisoner himself, and he's become a fan of of to stir with love. Yeah, it was. He's he's not Jewish, but the rabbi in the prison there was makar of him very much, and he got very very interested in Yiddishkeit. Uh, I don't think he he's going to be Maguire or anything, but he's but... All right, Lenny. Well, uh, here's a shout out to you, and uh, let's hope that uh, I don't know which t- team your heart is with, but let's hope there'll be a, a day coming soon when people will once again flock to the ballpark. I think what's it called, uh, City Field now and be able to watch the amazings and maybe you know lenny and you're you know hopefully a, a time will come soon when uh, the mets will bring the pennant back again and, and maybe go on to the series all right so that's it my friends for for this week of to stir with love hopefully we'll see you again very soon thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.